Welcome, everyone, to episode 30 of the Vital Point podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. Really happy that you guys are here and that I have the opportunity once again to uh, just do a solo cast. And I did this a while ago where, uh, and actually, it was the same thing, it was like the end of the first season. Um, by the way, this is episode 30 if you're uh, new to the podcast. Uh, season one had six episodes, season two had eight episodes, and this third season, this is the 16th episode, and we'll definitely be making the seasons a little bit shorter uh, in the future, but it's still kind of a work in progress. That's an experiment. But anyway, I, I did this a while back um, where I put a poll out in my stories and, um, you know, asked the audience, uh, what should I talk about? What, what kind of questions would you like to uh, hear? You know, because the majority of the episodes of the podcast, we've had outstanding guests. Um, so out of 30 episodes, there's been 25 guests total. One of those guests has been on twice. And then I've done a couple of um, episodes by myself that have been um, pretty well received. And so, yeah, since it was a short notice um, for the uh, cancellation, I decided, okay, let's let's try this again. And I was really, really happy. I got some really outstanding um, questions from you guys, and I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, so I'm really excited to to dig into these. So the first question is, how did you start working with breathwork and what called you to this work? So that's an outstanding question. Uh, I started doing breathwork uh, as a way to integrate uh, my own self-development and psychedelics work. Um, I kind of backed into it in a way. Um, when I first separated from my ex-wife and, um, I was really, really focused on healing myself and fixing certain things that I felt were out of balance. And I didn't want to end up in the same situation that I had been, you know, this, marriage had gotten completely dysfunctional. Uh, I wasn't happy in it. I should have left a lot sooner than I did. It was abusive. And, um, so when I got out of that, I realized like, Hey, I, I need to do some work on myself because I definitely don't want to repeat this same situation. And I started reading a book uh, by Aubrey Marcus um, about, you know, different practices to kind of optimize your life. And one of them was doing cold showers. And it was really cool because like on the same day that I was reading that, there was another um, person that I follow, um, Tom Bilyeu, that had posted in his social media about uh, the benefit of doing cold showers. And I was like, okay, well, 
cool, let's, let's give it a try. And initially my, my thought behind that was like, wow, I'm going to have to do a bunch of difficult things in terms of dealing with this marriage that I don't really want to do. I'm not really happy about. So if I start doing this practice that is basically everybody like cringes, you know, when, when you, uh, like mention it to them, um, that, uh, you know, it would, it would actually help me do something that I wasn't really excited about doing, you know, so doing something that kind of sucks voluntarily to help you do the things that suck that you don't have a choice about. And, um, you know, it's hard to know about cold showers and cold exposure in this day and age without, um, you know, without hearing about Wim Hof and, you know, within the Wim Hof method, cold exposure and breath work kind of go hand in hand. And so as I was getting more involved in, you know, kind of like the plant medicine community, I kept hearing about how good breath work was and I was already doing the cold showers. So I was like, cool, let's, let's give this a try. Cause it was very curious to me, this claim that you could have a psychedelic experience just by breathing and fun story. My dad tried to tell me about this when I was like 15 and, you know, doing a lot of drugs and getting into a lot of problems and, and whatnot. Um, you know, he, he sat me down and said like, Hey, you can get a lot deeper and get a lot higher breathing than you can, um, you know, doing whatever else you're doing. And I didn't believe him at all. <laughs> Um, but it's kind of ironic that now I'm, I'm a breathwork facilitator anyway. Um, you know, I was really intrigued by this idea of like being able to have a psychedelic experience. And so literally I looked up a YouTube video of how to do Wim Hof where it like, you know, I, I went through these videos, um, and then found like another video online where it walked you through the process. It had a timer and, uh, told you when to breathe and when to do the breath holds and, um, you know, how long to, to breathe for. And immediately I had a very strong, positive reaction to it. Um, I felt very, um, good. I felt very positive. I felt a lot of energy moving through my body and I felt good enough that I wanted to try it again. And so I kept working with it and over time just developed my own practice. Um, the, like the first thing that I started to do was add music. Um, you know, music was such a important part of being in an expanded state to me that it was just natural to add evocative music, oftentimes some of the same music that I was listening to in ceremony into the breathwork experience. And, um, the second thing was like making the sessions, the breathwork sessions longer. So extending them. And uh, as anybody that has experienced this type of breathwork can tell you, the longer you do it, the deeper you're going to go, the more, uh, intense, it's going to be. And I was definitely like going for that deep dive. Um, really, I found myself 
Um, I didn't have the language around it then when I was just experimenting, but I would do it enough that I would get to a place that we in the, you know, neurodynamic or holotropic, um, you know, just generally in the transformational breathwork space referred to as dropping in. And that's where, you know, your, your thinking mind basically stops. It, it quiets down. Um, and you go into a more open, quiet place. You know, you may have heard people talk about breath work as like a way that you can reach a meditative state, you know, especially if you have trouble uh, meditating. And what they're talking about in a large degree is, is dropping in. And so I would find myself in this very spacious, quiet, meditative, um, you know, yogic kind of space that seemed like it was outside of space and time and where I felt a lot of clarity, a lot of calmness. It definitely reminded me very strongly of being in the medicine space, like when you are able to sit with yourself in ceremony in a very calm, quiet way, you know, sometimes it's not always like that, right? Like sometimes <laughs> there's all kinds of things happening and you're just along for the ride. But I found with breath work, it was much more consistent in terms of reaching that place of quiet. Not only that, I could practice every day, whereas, you know, plant medicine is not something that anybody wants to practice every day. And it's not really healthy to do that. And you're not going to be able to integrate it. You know, you're not going to be doing more than just having some sort of, um, you know, recreational experience. So, you know, that was like kind of the beginning of it. And then we, we being, meaning my partner and I were doing, uh, lots of different types of breath work. Like we were really experimenting and, uh, we were doing in-person events here in Tucson. We were, um, you know, trying different things. And, uh, she actually found neurodynamic breath work. And once, uh, I tried that like immediately within a matter of minutes, I knew that, aha, this was it. Because as I was developing that, my own practice, as I was like going deeper with it, as I was building playlists that I felt like really hit the mark in terms of um, being evocative and helping me go deeper into the process and, and really supporting this like deep psychedelic type experience that I wanted to have. In the back of my mind, I was like, I, I want to be able to offer this. I want to be able to share this with people. And I would definitely talk about it all the time. You know, Hey, have you tried breath work? Oh yeah, I do this. And, um, but I didn't know how to actually start to do that. Um, I was doing some meditation instruction with people at, um, you know, the cacao ceremonies that my partner and I were facilitating, 
but I just, I didn't know like how to get myself out there in that way. I didn't know how to scale it up. And I certainly didn't have like a framework or, you know, I was just this, you know, amateur enthusiast. And immediately when I started to do the neurodynamic, I mean, I'm talking about, this is the first session. Um, <laughs> the, the experience was so profound and I just started getting all these downloads because like here was this idea that I had had in my mind and I was experiencing it. Like it was so close to what I wanted to do in terms of, uh, the way that, that I was breathing in terms of the music that was being used. And so. I was like, yes, this is it. And I was getting so many ideas. It was actually really hard for me to concentrate during that first session because I was getting so many ideas and so many downloads. And like, I wanted to know what the tracks were because, you know, like I didn't have any idea the way that I do now about different artists and like where to use the right music when in terms of holding this container. And so, um, again, you know, have to thank my partner after the session, she reached out to Michael Stone, the founder and facilitator and said like, Hey, we really like the session. We had a great experience. And he said, oh, I'm so happy that you did. We're actually starting our first facilitator training program here in, in about a month and a half. And when she told me that I immediately signed up no hesitation, no doubt, no questions. It was so clear that this is what I wanted to do and it was the right place for me to be in. And, um, currently the neurodynamic breathwork is on its fourth cohort, uh, for their facilitator training program. It's a outstanding program. It's a six month program. And I'm so glad that I did that program before I started facilitating because I had no idea all the things that I didn't know to the point that like, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like there was just so much that I learned from that program in terms of being able to hold space in terms of how to structure a breathwork group in terms of holding a workshop in terms of how to structure the music, um, working with spiritual emergence and having it not turn into spiritual emergency. And a third of the program was personal development. And I really enjoyed that personal development stage and it really helped because as a facilitator, as somebody that is holding space, one of the adages is that you can only help people. You can only hold space for people as deeply as you have helped yourself. And it's something that I'm very cognizant of in the space that we're in now, where breathwork is coming 
in well not just breath work but breath work plant medicines are coming into the foreground in such a big way you know they're really coming out into the mainstream i mean there's multiple shows on netflix about psychedelics and um you know gwyneth paltrow's show has an episode about wim hof and i think wim hof has a new like reality game show type thing on uh, the bbc and i've seen multiple uh, articles you know in different newspapers and magazines and whatnot about about breath work and the thing about it is is there's a lot of people that get excited about it because it is really potent it does work and i think they have a similar situation you know like a similar they find themselves in a similar situation that i was in which is wow this is really exciting i want to share this with others and that's great there's nothing wrong with that i wouldn't be where i am today if, if i hadn't followed that calling but I also would caution people about making sure that you have the right training and the right experience before you start holding space for somebody else. In other words, you, you have to clean up your own backyard to some extent before you're trying to help and hold space for somebody else. And that's not to say that like I'm perfect or I'm healed or, you know, that I have reached some sort of state where like I can handle everything. But any therapist, you know, will tell you that holding space is a skill. It's something that, you know, you practice and it's not always easy to just hold space for somebody and be there and, and listen. And especially within expanded states of consciousness, which is what we're talking about here, things happen. Transference, counter-transference, projection, so it's important to do work for yourself if what you are being called to do is hold space for others, is operate in this arena, you know, in terms of, you know, because that's what we're do we're here to do is, is to hold the space. I don't heal you. And I would be really cautious about working with anybody who claimed that they were here to heal you. The role of facilitator is to hold the space and allow and witness your process. You, you are the one that's doing the work. And the only way to do that is to do your own work. So yeah, six months of personal development work, uh, breath work <laughs> all the time. Um, yeah, it was a potent experience and I'm so grateful that I was in the right place at the right time to meet Michael and the other facilitators for the program. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, I use that knowledge and that experience every day now, which is great. So yeah, that's, that's how I got here. So thank you for that question. Hope you enjoyed the answer. Moving on to the second question. What makes someone who is avidly opposed to drugs take the leap to try psychedelics? Well, this is a cool question. Um, I would say that psychedelics are not drugs. Let me say that again. Psychedelics are not drugs. And if somebody asked me this question, I would invite some curiosity in about what makes them think that they're drugs. Because immediately when I hear that question, I hear a negative kind of connotation. And, you know, I grew up, <laughs> you know, uh, Ronald Reagan was sworn in the day before I was born. I grew up in the, you know, don't say no, or just say no. Yeah, don't say no is the right answer. Um, in the just say no era, um, I took dare classes in school. And so, yeah, like um, a lot of people in my generation, I was brainwashed to some certain extent to loop all these substances in as drugs. And depending on how you define drugs, sure, psychedelics are drugs. Are you defining drugs as a substance that creates a chemical change in your body and mind? Okay. Well, psychedelics are drugs then. But more curiosity, I think, is needed. What makes a drug acceptable versus unacceptable? Why are some drugs legal and others aren't? Now, if you listen to somebody like Terrence McKenna or, um, you know, there's a lot of folks, they delve into this subject quite a bit deeper than I can go, um, you know, at this t point in time. But I would say that's the first place to start. You know, there's plenty of drugs that are legal and that we are totally fine with. Um, I don't exactly say this as a brag. I mean, it sort of is because of the world we live in, especially within America. But um, I haven't had a cup of coffee since August of last year of 2021. Caffeine is one of the most widely used drugs in our society. And if you don't think that caffeine is a drug, I invite you to try to stop drinking coffee for a week and see how you feel. When I got off of it initially, it took me about a month. I had to detox off of it like a heroin addict. And I couldn't just go cold turkey. I had such extreme headaches that I had to wean myself off step by step, little by little. And 
in a way, you know, having this stuff happening with my heart has been a blessing for getting off caffeine because I just don't want to mess with any stimulants when my heart is racing. So, you know, cigarettes are another one, tobacco. Uh, in our country, in America, if you look back 100 years, 90 years, the advertising for tobacco was nine out of 10 doctors prefer this cigarette over other cigarettes. The marketing was about the health benefits of tobacco. And in fact, cigarettes, you know, while being a, not a healthy thing to do because of the way that we treat them, grow them with chemicals and, you know, the cause of cancer, tobacco is actually used in a very medicinal purpose in the Amazon. It's actually a master plant and something that people build a relationship with. So a lot of what I'm talking about comes down to having a right relationship with your drugs. Uh, for instance, I, uh, in November, I had uh, labral repair surgery on both sides of my shoulder. And I am so grateful to have had, had access to opiates, especially during the first few weeks after that surgery. I don't know what I would have done. Now, over time, as I would go back to my doctor and he would ask me, are you still experiencing pain? And I would say yes. And over time, as they continued to refill my prescription, uh, I started getting less pills with the prescription without being asked or told. And actually the last time I asked for a refill, I got a lower dose of medication. And I have to say that I'm really grateful for the checks and balances that we have within the system to prevent me or anybody else from not having a right relationship with that drug. In that first couple of weeks, I could definitely understand, I felt in a way that I'd never understood before. Like I, fe I felt like I understood addiction um, through my own experience and through being around 12-step programs and, and whatnot. Like I, I felt like I understood addiction to a certain extent before my surgery. What I came away from, because I had never really used opiates. What I came away from was a really deep understanding of why people get addicted to opiates and why they're so um, powerful. 
because what I felt like was happening was it was taking away something that I had no other way of escaping from. It was like literally resetting that circuit in my brain when I would wake up feeling more rested because I was actually able to get sleep because of that drug, I had a better attitude. I had a better outlook. I had a better mindset. And so it made me understand like how people can get addicted to it when they don't have other resources to help them deal with that pain that they're feeling all the time. Now, another reason that I think somebody who is adamantly opposed to drugs would take the leap to psychedelics is that psychedelics provide within the right container, within the right set and setting, the capacity to help somebody heal from that pain, from the things that cause addiction in a much more sustainable and holistic way than opiates or using something else to just, you know, to numb it. Literally what psychedelics are doing is they're creating new neural pathways. The thing is, is that by the time we're in our thirties, we're actually not making very many new decisions in life. That's not to say that you are not experiencing new things ever, but the mind and the brain have created a default mode network. And that default mode network is a series of neurons and neural pathways. And those neural pathways basically dictate how we make decisions, uh, what we find pleasurable, what we find painful. They create our defaults. And it's very difficult as we get older to create new decisions outside of those defaults. And those defaults to some degree are created by the trauma that we've experienced, especially in our early childhood, the experiences that we have. And the way that we have interpreted and stored those experiences. And one of the incredible things that psychedelics and breath work can do is create new neural pathways. The way that I like to think about it is, um, have you ever gone on a path through the forest or a jungle? That path is worn. There's, you can see it. It's defined. Even if the, you know, the terrain around you is so thick 
that you really can't deviate outside of it. That path is worn. That path is like your neural, your neural pathways. So if one day you just decided, I'm going to create a new path, you might need to cut through a lot of brush. It might be really challenging and really difficult, and it's going to be so much easier for you to go back to that new way. But if you start using that new path over time, it will start to become worn. It will start to become familiar. It will start to become easier to traverse. And that's what psychedelics do. Um, you can look at the research. Uh, Johns Hopkins has published studies where literally they show a neural map of the, the, the brain before and during psilocybin. And there are an exponentially larger number of connections happening with psilocybin. So it just presents the mind with options and ideas that are very difficult to come up with otherwise because of the habits that we have developed. And then the last thing that I wanted to say about this question is why, why would somebody that's opposed to drugs take the leap to, to try psychedelics is evidence-based. You know, I mentioned Johns Hopkins, um, books like Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind are really starting to cut through the propaganda and the misinformation about psychedelics and really starting to show in a very concrete, data-driven, evidence-based way how incredibly life-changing these substances can be for things that we really have struggled with and not done well in the rest of our culture, you know, with depression, with addiction, with trauma, psychedelics are incredible. And so it's one of the things that I actually enjoy about breath work is I feel like breath work can be a gateway into psychedelics because it's giving people an opportunity to experience that expanded state of consciousness when maybe they weren't comfortable with a psychedelic because of legality or because of what they learned growing up or what they think, you know, their preconceived notions that they bring into it. And it makes me think of there's a there's a there's a part of Ramdas's you know beautiful culture changing book Be Here Now, where he talks about like after you've had the experience when you've experienced this openness or this expansion that you have the you, you have this like um, desire to go and shout it from the rooftops. 
you want to go and tell everybody about how incredible this is and how life-changing it is and just how amazing and everybody should do it, right? That's not really how it works. And it might work for some people. I think that one of the best ways of changing and having people get curious and actually ask you about change is by embodying that change. In other words, I don't necessarily need to tell everybody that I meet about breathwork. I certainly will if I, you know, like it happened yesterday, I was at the doctor and um, she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a breathwork facilitator. And so she started, oh, wow, that's interesting. She started asking me questions about it. What's more profound than going out and evangelizing psychedelics or breathwork or any sort of change that you want to make, in my opinion, is just being that change. Because I have friends that have approached me and said, you know, like, I've known you for years. And what are you doing? You're different. You're calmer, you're, you seem happier, you are, you know, there's, there's something different about you. So that to me is the best way to, uh, convince other people, so to speak, that these, you know, psychedelics or breath work or anything that you're doing is worth checking out is when they see you um, and the changes that you've gone through, it's going to make them curious. And this is actually something that um, we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, one of the earliest episodes, I think it was episode three with uh, Jamie Clements. Uh, he and I talked about that. We talked about, you know, just being the change that you want to see in the world and that attracting people that are curious and interested uh, to you just by, you know, that, that change that you're doing. So yeah, hopefully you like that answer. That was an excellent question and um, want to move on. Uh, the next question uh, just said crop circles and I can't, uh, I don't know what to say about that other than if you're watching, you might not understand this, uh, if you're listening to the podcast later, but I am wearing a shirt with a bunch of flying saucers on it. So, um, I don't really have anything to say other than I guess I wore the right shirt for that wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Um, Next question. I'm currently experiencing a palpable psychic shift. Have you had similar experiences? Yeah. Yeah, I have. And, um, I think it's something that happens as you go through transformational work of different sorts. Um, there's many ways that you could interpret that and explain it. Um, you know, especially if you're doing work that is impacting your internal world, your energy. I actually just asked your question, uh, Abe, um, 
the um yeah you know <laughs> i think you can experience anything from different um different shifts in your mind having intuition about different things um different types of um what you would call powers um within you know like i've been practicing meditation for 20 years and you you don't have to get too deep within you know buddhist meditation to to start hearing the word the term samadhi and um you know samadhi is uh, a state where you are in a state of peace in a state of you know somewhat enlightenment and within that state they start to talk about different powers different things that can happen you know um psychic type things um if you look at the yogas of naropa they talk about you know yogis flying and being able to astral project and um you know being able to work with the energetic channels of the the body in order to create heat um i myself find i guess i would say like my intuition is better um sometimes i you know i'm i wouldn't say like i'm psychic but um i find myself sometimes knowing what somebody's going to say before they say it or just having a sense um some of that is just energetically like you're you're picking up on different things you know as we as we start to clear ourselves through transformational work um there's space that is created and that space um other things can grow and flourish in that space the one thing that i would like to maybe add to this is i have noticed this tendency within our culture when we encounter these types of things we say oh that's crazy or you'll never believe this or you know something along those lines and i would caution around the language that we use there's no reason to talk yourself out of it if it's something that you're experiencing. And I don't think that I think that saying like hey, I want to tell you about this, it was so crazy. I don't think that that's a good way to talk to yourself. It's certainly reinforcing, you know, sort of moving in the opposite direction. But I do think it's interesting that like you can tell somebody something about like something that's miraculous, something that is out of the ordinary and oftentimes like that's their response is like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, no, I don't think it's crazy at all. Um, I think that also some of these things will ha start to happen outside of yourself. Um, you know, it's not just picking up things within your inner world. It's, you know, seeing, getting, being open to signs, 
um, being open to signs that are were around you the whole time that um, you know that we close ourselves off to through our vibrational level um, through through being preoccupied with other things and um, yeah I mean I I see uh, numbers everywhere I mean I I have one tattooed on me because of what a profound impact it's had on my life. Um, you know, I see different animals, especially birds, um, at different times, you know, the, those are, those are signs. I would lump that into psychic shift if that's what we're calling it. I think a good way to look at this is, you know, within certain platforms and protocols of Buddhist meditation, the instruction is to look at everything as a dream. And so in the same way that we are able to look at a dream and get some sort of meaning from it, see different symbolism and um, different subconscious levels to it, and at the same time, also be able to say, and it's still a dream. Um, then some of these things, we can also choose to look at that, you know, as well. Um, within the last couple of years, like I've gotten back into using, okay, that's just now, now this, the, the timing of who's showing up on this live is just incredible because I was literally just going to say within the last couple of years and especially within the last couple of months, I've started working with tarot again and, you know, Oracle cards and things that I had completely moved away from uh, for a while. And I've been very pleasantly surprised uh <laughs> what's up um by just how profound um you know tapping into that energy can be um uh, my partner and I drew cards the last night and they were so in tune to the conversation that we had been having to what had happened within our individual day, it was awesome. And so again, the one thing to not do is to say, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's just what's happening during this podcast to me is an example of like why you shouldn't shut yourself out to these possibilities. You know, I asked a question and literally like 10 seconds later, the person that asked that question popped into the live. Now, could that be a coincidence? Maybe, but that's just how you're choosing to see the world. You know, you can either see the everything that's happening around you and your experiences as, wow, that's a, what a weird coincidence. Or you can just accept that there's magic all around you, you know, that there's things that we can't see that we don't experience in the third dimension. 
it doesn't mean that they're not there. You know, like animals, different animals see things, see the world in completely different ways that we do with completely different spectrums of energy. Um, they might see sound. They are seeing colors and parts of the ultraviolet spectrum that, that we don't see. And yet we lock ourselves into a certain perspective. You know, I literally was about to say tarot and somebody else popped into the the live that is a tarot reader and is like, that's part of, you know, their offerings. And so I choose to see that not as a coincidence. And of course, it's up to you how you experience the world. You know, within a within the context of Buddhism, um, they say that nothing has um, existence independently of itself. And to me, that explains like how I can experience the world in one way, you can experience it in another way, and neither of us are wrong. So anyway, I think that that what was really cool was that that answer ended up being a lot longer than I thought, just because all of a sudden these really cool coincidences coincidences in air quotes, uh, started happening. So very, very cool. Uh, <laughs> next question. Do you think it's important to remember trauma or is a bodywork approach enough to overcome them? Ooh, this is juicy. My answer to that question is yes and no. Trauma is definitely stored in the body. And so without connection to the body, we're not going to be able to work through it. It's very, very almost close to impossible to think your way through trauma. In f and there are traumas and ener traumatic energy that's stored in the body that we may never be able to explain up here in the thinking mind. Um, we may never be able to remember it. And by that, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about things that were pre-verbal things that happened when we were a baby, things that happened during the birth process. But also like for me, I, I'll admit something. Um, I have very few memories from, I don't know. I have, I have like a couple of memories from like, I would say five to uh, like 10 or 11, I have like maybe one or two from before that. And certainly we can make a joke about how much cannabis I've consumed and how that's killed off a few brain cells. But the reality is, is that I've blocked out a lot of the stuff that happened to me. Um, my ex-wife, um, started to remember, uh, sexual trauma that had occurred at a very young age for her. And 
one of the things that was really challenging that actually drove our marriage apart was she felt like she was going crazy, partially because her family wouldn't validate what was happening. And she constantly second guessed whether it was happening or whether it was a dream. And the person, the, the perpetrator um, that had um, done this abuse uh, was no longer in this world. So it wasn't like it could it couldn't be verified. For me, there was absolutely no reason to to doubt. But if we're if we're going by what we can remember, I think we're going to be limited in the trauma that we can work with. And my somatic experiencing therapist has often said that it's less important to remember the trauma and more important just to feel it, just to be open to it. Because the thing is like, here, here's the deal. Like, even if you can't remember, even if you can't put a, 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 a like an exact, you know, like, oh, this is what this is from. Can you feel it in your body? What are you experiencing in your body? Where do you feel it? Can you get quiet and breathe around it and start to tune into it? Start to ask yourself and just have some curiosity about what color is it? Does it have a shape? Is there a sensation? Sometimes cluing into that, focusing and meditating and breathing with it will actually sort of trigger a remembering. It'll trigger a memory or a thought. Not always. Again, there's stuff that I've worked through that's, according to my therapist, pre-verbal. Pre um, if you read the work of Stan Groff, Dr. Stan Groff, who created holotropic breathwork, he has whole books about what's called the perinatal matrix matrices, which is his way of categorizing four distinct um, experiences that happen before uh, birth, during the birth process, and right after birth. Now, one of the interesting things I think about Dr. Groff's research is that according to him, not only is the experience of trauma during the birth process responsible for some of the somatic release that we encounter during breath work, but it also explains why we have, we, and I say we as like the collective, have very similar archetypal experiences during psychedelics and during breath work. Um, because like the feeling of being in hell and being constricted and like that basically is the, um, the trauma of being in the birth canal and feeling like we're suffocating. You know, like think about that as a baby. You don't know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. 
I'm just pausing just to let that sink in. You know, there's so like we don't know how we're experiencing uh, the birth process. Now, there's a book that um, that I've spent a fair amount of time meditating on and, and studying uh, called The Jewel Ornament of Liberation by Gampopa, who was one of the forefathers, one of the lineage holders of the Kagyu school, Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. And within the Jewel Ornament of Liberation, um, there's a meditation about the the pain and suffering, you know, within the Buddhist context, the the dukkha, the suffering of birth. And within that book, he talks about how when you are born, you're going into this environment that is frightfully cold. You are going from this warm womb into this frighteningly cold environment and that your skin has never felt air before and that this literally feels like freezing and that your skin is so sensitive that even the blanket that you're wrapped in hurts is traumatic you know it feels like nails and like thorns on the skin not to mention that you've never breathed before you know, the, what, what, you know, what's the classic example? The doctor has to slap you on the butt to, to get you to breathe. We don't remember that happening. But I certainly can understand <laughs> how the birth process could be traumatic. So that's one side of the, of the answer is the, the no, it's just important to feel it. However... Once we do feel it, then I think it can be important to get into and continue to process that trauma through um, things that are more cognitive. Um, we actually talk about this on the podcast uh, with Russell, Dr. Russell Kennedy, the anxiety MD. Um, you know, he talked about how having a combination of somatic based uh, approaches along with sort of traditional therapy um, could be really helpful. So yeah, I think the short answer is yes and no. With the caveat that feeling it is the most important. Witnessing. Because the body keeps the score, right? That's that's the that's the book. If you haven't read that book, I would definitely uh, recommend it. And feeling it is the most important. You know, within the breath work, we say the way past is through. So excellent question. Thank you so much. Last but not least. How can you use, or no, I'm sorry. How can we give space to negative emotions and let them emerge on the surface while trying to manifest a positive outcome in daily life? Should we approach it as work limited to a certain period of time? I want to address the first part of that. How can we give space to negative emotions and let them emerge on the surface while trying to manifest a positive outcome in daily life? 
That's a big question. I think the first thing that I would say is, is, is approaching negative emotions with curiosity, giving them space, having a lack of judgment around them being negative. I think if we get curious about them, we're able to discover what their purpose is. One type of therapy that can be really helpful with this is called internal family systems. And I've actually uh, had um, Christine uh, on that is an um, internal family systems coach. So within internal family systems, these negative emotions aren't negative. They're just a part of us that has a particular need. And when we're able to give them space, we're actually able to like sit and move through and redefine what that need is. I think another thing is to not identify as that emotion. You know, how many times do we hear I'm angry or I'm sad, I'm scared? Well, that's not really true. I'm not angry. I'm experiencing anger. You see what I mean? There's a key difference there. I think another thing that can help in terms of manifesting a positive outcome and being able to hold negative emotions is gratitude. Gratitude is one way that I am able to hold a negative emotion while not allowing it to overcome me. Because even when I'm having a bad day, even on the worst day, and I've had some pretty bad days lately, you know, some pretty challenging days, days where I've ended up in the hospital. Uh, days where I'm not sure if I'm going to die because my heart is, feels like it's going to jump out of my chest. Um, whatever it is, taking a breath and remembering all the things that I have to be grateful for in that moment actually helped me detach and not identify so closely with that emotion. You know, they say there's something I, you know, the different people will give you different um, numbers. 
But the chances of being born are one in the billions. Billions with a B. And if you think about all the things that your parents could have done differently in their lives that would have resulted in something besides your your birth I think that's one way to start building gratitude for life you can be grateful for your limbs you can be grateful for your senses if you're living in a house and you're watching or listening to this podcast you certainly have a lot to be grateful for you know you're you're listening or watching this podcast on this miraculous computer that's turning us into cyborgs because it's blowing our mental capacities out of proportion that's more powerful than what landed the space shuttle on the moon and I mean, I don't remember certain things because of my phone. There's things that I can do and people that I can connect with across the world through this amazing box. That's something to be grateful for. So yeah, there, you know, practicing gratitude, um, I think is, is another way of giving space to those negative emotions. And along with gratitude, um, the self development practices that I actually teach <laughs> and, you know, facilitate for, I think having a mindfulness practice is one of the best ways to give negative emotion space. And again, it's this process of like detaching from it a little bit so that we can see it, we can hold it, but we're not identifying as it, or it's not like over overwhelming us. Yeah. Mindfulness is, is one of the best ways in my opinion. It allows us to be the witness. It allows us to be the observer rather than experiencing everything. And it takes time. And some people don't feel like putting in the time. I think that the time is really worthwhile because the benefits that it's had in my life in being able to witness something without like getting overwhelmed by it. It's just incredible. You know, having that equanimity to be able to hold things, emotions, experiences, and not be overwhelmed by them. Well, this has become the longest podcast <laughs> outside of the music podcast, which is so long because it had so much music added to it. 
So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for providing these questions. I thank you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Is this something that you would like to hear more of? Should I make like a mailbag feature and maybe just answer a random question instead of devoting a whole episode to it? I'd love to know. And I would love to uh, have you follow the podcast, uh, leave a review on Apple or Spotify. That would help so much. You know, I'm not planning on quitting this anytime soon. Um, my goal for this year was to get to 50 episodes and we're, oh no, to record 50 episodes. So we've done uh, 16 this year. So I got a ways to go. And actually maybe thinking about the math, maybe it was get to 50 episodes. So 20 more to go. But I am really looking forward to continuing this. I uh, have some great guests lined up and just would love to hear from you. I love getting feedback. I love hearing that you actually love the show because, you know, it's nice to talk to a guest when I'm doing these episodes. It's a bit like shouting into the void. So, you know, hearing from you getting feedback. I just, I love it. And, uh, leaving a review and, or a, a rating and subscribing and following all those things just really help get the podcast out there to a wider audience. And if the podcast is out there to a wider audience, then I can get better guests and, you know, just the whole thing continues to roll. So if you're listening to this, I really appreciate it. If you could leave a review on Apple, on Spotify, rate, follow all those good things. And I really appreciate you hanging with, with me on this and um, giving me the opportunity to answer some really good thought-provoking questions. I will be taking next week off, uh, but I will be back with the beginning of season four and really excited to continue. So until next time, my friends, keep practicing. Hope this inspired you to do some meditation practice, to do some breath work, perhaps to get curious about uh, plant medicine, because that is the vital point, is to practice, is to experience. Until next time, my friends, take care. <laughs>